Welcome to the Word of a King podcast. It's where culture clashes with our calling, where preaching is more important than popularity, where we rightly divide and properly apply the scriptures, where we put to rest common and controversial issues. We do this by looking to the Word of a King. The key to understand the Word of God is for the author to show you what the things are. If you understand that book, you get for the author. Then he opened their understanding. Welcome back to the Word of a King podcast. I am your host, Chad Reese, pastor at Lighthouse Baptist Church. And again, joining me is the co-host, Brother Brian Beam. And uh, brother, we had a good time on our first episode of the Word of a King. And I know we probably did a lot of rambling and kind of all over the place, but I was excited just to dive into this subject. And uh, brother, any any uh, comments on the first week? Had a blast. Yeah, me a lot too. Of Bible doctrine crammed in an hour and ten minutes, whatever it was. So yeah, good yeah. Stuff. Definitely, definitely a, a great time, and we're looking forward to uh, maybe being a little bit more systematic this week. And and uh, again, our purpose last week was just to give you an overview of dispensations, dispensational salvation, and kind of an overarching sense of what this book that we're reviewing, Tribulation Salvation, by Pastor Doug Stoffer, is about, and why we disagree with it. So again, here at the Word of a King podcast. We want to take common and controversial issues and put them to rest. So uh, we hope to put this to rest either this week or next week, and and, uh, we'll see where we get in time. Um, But in regards, before we actually dive into the doctrine of this book, uh, brother, I want to deal with something that I do think is important. I do think it's serious. And obviously the point of this podcast is to have a good time and fun and provoke people to study the Bible. But... This is a very serious matter in regards to this book. And I'll be honest with you, this was one of my motivating factors to review this and to show why it was false and not true, his position on tribulation salvation. Now, let me read to you Brother Doug Stoffer's prayer for this book. And this is found on page 11 at the bottom. He says, my prayer for this book is twofold, that it will reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Amen. That's his first one. That's great. Sounds good. I hope it does the same too whenever we teach something. Uh, but here's point two. Men will let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Now again, <laughs> that, that sounds great <laughs> and uh, very biblical, obviously. But I want to ask you, Brother Brian, after you've read this book and glanced through it multiple times, do you think Brother Doug Stoffer's prayer was answered by writing this book? I do not. <laughs> kind of the opposite manifested itself, I think, maybe unknowingly. I don't know. It's very the opposite of that. Yeah, and, and I think that's what we're going to get into. Just, just begin. Uh, we're not trying to make this about the man or he said some words that we don't agree with. That's not the point. But... I do believe out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And as you said, I believe something totally different manifested from this book. And so just for a few moments, I want to just talk about the condescending tone 
and the accusation that Brother Doug Stoffer gives all throughout this book in yeah. some of the things that he calls Bible believers. Again, uh, you know, me and Brother Brian, whatever, we can take it, read it, uh, but I believe it was it's not of the right spirit. And uh, anyways, I'll let you be the judge of that. But Brother Brian, why don't you just highlight some of the things that he says about Bible believers? And I want the audience to listen to this. This is what he says. If you don't agree with his position and you believe in some so some sort of faith work setup, like most Bible believers do, or as he would call Ruckmanites do, this is what he says about you over and over again in his book. Brother Brian? Yeah, and I... Uh, told Pastor Chatter, this is how he and I and Sam Gipp and yeah. Rick Sowell and David Peacock and Brian Donovan, and this is how we're described. And I was also telling him, like, I don't know Brother Stauffer personally, but I would consider he's a Bible believer. I'm sure he's a soul winner. He preaches the right gospel. Right. He uh, believes the fundamentals of the faith. And I know Brother Knox and he are kind of the same stripe with this thing. And I know Brother Knox wrote a forward to one of his books and Brother Knox, one of my favorite preachers, I know lots of Ruckmanite Bible believers who love Brother James Knox. He's a Bible believer. He really knows the book. He's a great preacher. He's huge on street preaching, which we're big fans of. We're proponents of. Amen. We participate in street preaching, a great biblical way of getting the gospel out. So I would never talk this way about James Knox. Like, I could fellowship with James yeah. Knox or Amen. even Brother Stauffer. We could go on the streets and preach. We could go door knocking. I could, you know, I was at a fundamental church for a few years. But to, to use these words, but on page nine, he calls us, these are anybody who doesn't agree with him or he's talking about our teachings, pawns of the great deceiver. Page 10, we're called blind guides. Page 11, self-appointed saviors. Page 13, this one he uses a lot, novice. Mm. Anybody who's not as smart as he is apparently on this subject is a novice. Right. <laughs> uh, 16, lacking godly living, carnally minded with blood on their hands. Wow. It's quite the accusation, brother. It's pretty strict. Number seven, page 17, we're perverters of truth, unrepentant, desperately seeking to bask in the limelight. Yeah. <laughs> Good one. Uh, page 31, we are disingenuous Bible students. Again, these are anybody who doesn't come to the same conclusions he comes to, which he didn't used to come to until recently. And a book I read years ago, I found it at Hope Baptist Church when I was going there in their library or they're in the bookstore was Brother Stauffer's book, Rightly Divided the Word of Truth, The Key to Understanding the Bible. And I thought it was a great book. It really helped me. And now he's repentant of that. So apparently this used to apply to him. I don't know. But if right. I disagree with him, we're all these things. The sheer hypocrisy and inconsistency. Page 42, we are called satanically inspired. Page 43, and he uses this one a lot, not true Bible believers. Right. I believe Brother Stauffer is 100% the same Bible believer as I am. I believe he believes the King James Bible is the Bible. It's without error, and he doesn't correct it. That's what a Bible believer is. So he's one of those, and I'm one of those, but apparently I'm not a true one, whatever that is. Right. And I don't it, correct the book. I don't believe it has mistakes. Right. And you raise a good point. I just want to interject here is, again, this idea that you have to come to the same conclusion on all these doctrines, otherwise you're not a true Bible believer. Uh, as Brother Brian said, and I'll say again publicly, I believe Brother Doug Stoffer is a Bible believer. Amen. I believe Brother James Knox is a Bible believer. But the reason we're showing you this that's laced throughout all his book is I believe it's the spirit that he's writing in. I believe because some men have held him accountable in the past and he's letting his feelings get in the way and therefore he 
tries to label everyone, put a category on them. You're a novice. You're not a true Bible believer. And as Brother Brian just mentioned a few minutes ago, Brother James Knox holds very similar to his positions. I've read James Knox's books. You know what you don't find in James Knox's books? All this accusatory language, inflammatory language. And again, uh, really was to me just uh, disheartening to kind of turn off, even read the book. And uh, I think it did a disservice to his position. I really did. But let's continue with the list because uh, it goes on. It gets, it's more Wait, more. there's more, as they say yeah. in the uh, infomercials. Okay, not true Bible believers, number 44, page 44, we fear man more than God. Number 46, satanic delusion. Yeah. Uh, let's see, number, uh, also page 46, unscrupulous promoters of a false gospel. I would use that to describe a lost person. Yeah, right. I don't know about a brother in the Lord, but page 48, elevate pride over truth. Page 56, deceptive tactics. Page 57, we are blind leaders of the blind. Page 63, false teachers. Same page, reckless disregard for the truth. 71, spiritual infidelity. <laughs> page 73, we are Bible apprentices. Novice of the scriptures. He uses that three times, I think. Oh, we're also spiritual rookies. Wow. I like that one, Brother Stauffer. That's a good one. Spiritual rookies. Okay. I can lie for this stuff. Right, it's right. not a big deal. I've never met him. I probably never will in person. And if I did, I'd shake his hand. Yeah, amen. Amen. But it's kind of Pray for him. I, I, I hope that uh, <laughs> he does wondrous things for the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. I hope his church prospers. I hope that uh, he continues to preach the gospel. But we're pointing out his hypocrisy in the fact that one of the purposes of writing this book, as he said, one of his goals was to men will let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. It does not sound like you accomplished that, Brother Doug Stoffer. Let's go ahead and continue. You got more on that? I have three more. Okay. Oh, we're not legitimate Bible believers, page 82. Again, a Bible believer is somebody who says, I believe the Bible is the Word of God. Bible means book. Amen. And if I say the Bible is the Word of God, I, which Bible are you talking about? This one right here in my hand. I believe every word of it. That's it. That's it. So I I don't, He doesn't know what that term means, apparently. Uh, also, page 82, the fiery darts of the wicked. And the last one, I don't know, might be my favorite, but there's so many good ones here. Uh, the hordes of hell, page 104. He said, though the hordes of hell come against, rise up against me, he says on page 104. Those that disagree with him are the hordes of hell. Those are, some, <laughs> those are some strong words and terms. And, and again, I, I'm definitely not speaking for Brother Brian. And I, I know, I'm sure the listeners understand what he says. Obviously, we would say we know that Mary's not God because we have the word of God. But his point was defining the fact that a Bible believer is one who believes the Bible they hold in your hand. And obviously, if you believe this Bible, you'll see clearly he's not God. Mary's not God, excuse me. Uh, but his, his point is well taken. And that is the simple fact that I would not call Doug Stoffer a Bible rejecter or not a Bible believer because he doesn't come to the same position that I do. So again, I don't think he accomplished his goals. I, I know that whole remarks about the hordes of hell is just mind-blowing. I do want to read this one in regards to, on page 21, this is down at the bottom of his footnote. It says this, the faith plus work setup are the heretical words of one of the proponents of this false teaching. Now listen, this setup is a satanic setup mm. and delusion intended 
to confuse into thinking that they do not solely, I'm sorry, that they do not need to solely trust in the Lord to be eternally saved in the future. Again, those are strong words from one brother to another. He is saying, we are teaching a satanic setup and we are, is to delusion, it's to basically set up and delusions intended to confuse people. So it almost sounds to me like he thinks we're doing this intentionally to confuse people. And it's a satanic setup. Um, again, I'm disappointed in a lot of what I read in here, not in regards to the doctrine, but in regards to the words that Brother Doug Stoffer has to his brethren, to those that believe the same book that he does. Yeah. Anything else on that, brother? No. All right. So again, that's that's not why we did. Uh, um, you know, we want to review this. We want to get into the doctrine of it, but it was one of the motivating factors, as I said. Uh, again, I think it's the wrong spirit. I think Brother Doug Stoffer should apologize publicly for his accusation against the brethren of those that do not agree with him. No, I don't expect he will, nor do I even care if he does, but I think that's what a Christian with the right spirit would do. Uh, but nevertheless, if you get the book, I'll be honest with you, I don't encourage you to do so. Um, we'll get to more of that in the end. Uh, but if you do get the book, you'll see it laced from the beginning to the end, the accusations of not being a true Bible believer, of being a novice, that it's satanic, so on and so forth. And uh, again, I just think it shows his spirit, at least when he was writing this book. Now, what we're going to do in this podcast is we're at least going to start or attempt to go through the summary of errors that are found in his book that he wrote on tribulation salvation. So, Brother Brian, why don't you start us off with the first summary of error that you would like to discuss today. Okay, we kind of cover this in an introduction, but number one would be he applies church age doctrine to Old Testament or tribulation saints, which I got page 88, for example. Yeah, let's, let's get an example, see what yeah, he says here. Galatians 2.21, I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. He says, if man could add anything to Christ's sacrifice for salvation, then the father would have been guilty of needlessly sacrificing his son upon the cross of Calvary. The facts are simple. Keeping the law saved no one. And he goes on from that, which, of course, is true today. Right. That is true today. Yes. <laughs> Under the law was not true. So it's the same mistake that, you know, people make when they write these kind of books. Stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. And so again, I think what you're pointing out, and I know we just dis discussed this in the uh, first episode when uh, discussing his book, um, Tribulational Salvation, is oftentimes what you'll see he does is he takes a truth that is true to the church age and applies it out into the tribulation or in regards to even justifying Old Testament salvation. And uh, if you got another one, because I was looking for a quote, if I could find it, that I had. But if you have another example or anything you want to add while I look for that for a moment, that'd be great. I was looking at the next point. That's fine. I mean, we don't have to, to uh, get another one. There was uh, one here. Let me see. I can find it in just one second. Um, I think it's... All right, here it is. Um, this is on page 21. This is in his chapter, Considering Old Testament Salvation. Uh, towards the end of the paragraph, he says, The bottom line, mm -hmm. no man has ever, nor will ever have the opportunity to boast for his salvation when standing before a just and holy God 
for judgment. Now, again, we kind of dealt with this last time. Uh, we're talking about we don't believe anyone in the Old Testament was saved. We don't believe anyone in the tribulation is saved for you and I. But he makes this blanket statement. You know what his proof text is? And again, this book's about tribulation and salvation. So he makes his blanket statement, but his proof text is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 9. Again, who is Ephesians? Who is Paul writing to? He's writing to the church. But this is what he does throughout this book. He, he takes truth, a, a church age truths and applies them throughout the whole Bible. And you did a good job last week of just showing how that is a faulty way of thinking. You can't do that with the dietary law. You can't do that with the law in general. You can't do that with capital punishment. I mean, we could go on and on and on of why you should not read somebody else's mail. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so with that said, brother, what's uh, let's, let's number two? Again, that's uh, so again, let's recap. The first summary of error with this book is he often uses church age truth to justify his position in regards to tribulation salvation. Number two, he says no one kept the law or can keep the law, which is true if keeping the law means perfect or never sinning. Which and, it does not. And absolutely. So you, you raise a good point here. We've got to define terms. So why don't you get to the the quote in his book, and he makes this statement several times, but uh, go ahead and read one of those statements from his book so we're not misrepresenting him, and then we'll go ahead and expound on the subject. Page 22, and it's also 29 and 30 and 42. True Bible teaching seeks to eliminate one's private interpretation. God demands all matters to be settled by what saith the Scripture. Sounds very pious. Yeah. True. Therefore, it is inconceivable for any preacher to claim that post-Calvary saints will be saved by a means that no Old Testament saint could accomplish. So, again, I just love mm. the way he frames the question. And, you know, uh, so anyways, you know, if you're a true student of the Word of God, you'll understand this. And basically, the idea is no one post-Calvary, after Calvary will be able to obtain something that they weren't able to do pre-Calvary. And his idea is, basically states that nobody was able to keep the law. Um, so, Brother Brian, according to him, we need to judge this according to the Word of God, which we agree with. Good idea. A wonderful idea. So the question is, according to the Bible, did anyone keep the law, Brother Brian? They did. So apparently, keeping the law doesn't mean perfect. In our first episode, we saw 1 Kings 11:34, I believe, where God is speaking to Rehoboam, and he says that David, his father, kept the commandments and kept the law. And we discussed how uh, Zacharias and Elizabeth, they were walking in the command of statues, and God saw them um, righteous. Again, so this idea that nobody could keep the law, that's nothing more than, again, a straw man argument. They build this up, makes it, it sounds good. But when put under the scrutiny of the scriptures, you'll find it doesn't pass the test. And I think that's because you mentioned people try to redefine what keeping the law is. And, right. and they mean you got to be sinless and perfect. Nope. But, Brother Brian, weren't the sacrifices part of the law? Yes. And, and why did God have sacrifices part of the law? What do you think? Sin. They broke the law. Right. And therefore, God knew that man would sin. God knew that man would break the law. But his desire for them was to keep the law. So guess what? He tells them when you break the law, you have to offer these sacrifices. That way you could be seen as one keeping the law. And you'd be considered righteous. So again, this idea that no one kept the law, I don't believe stands the test of Scripture. 
A couple verses. Yeah, Second Kings 18.5, talking about Hezekiah. Uh, verse 6, For he clave to the Lord and departed not from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord commanded Moses. So Brother Stauffer says that a means that no Old Testament saint could accomplish. I just read you where God said they did accomplish it. So he's wrong on that one. And then Daniel 9, verse 4. And I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love him and to them that keep his commandments. Again, the Bible's clear. You have other examples too. I think we talked about some of those in the last broadcast. I, I mentioned... I don't understand really how people come to this conclusion that they can't keep the law when the Bible says they did over and over again. I think I know what they're implying. They're implying they can't keep it in regards to salvation, sinless, perfect, like Jesus Christ was. But we already know that. We know that as Bible believers. That's not what it's saying when they kept the law. So in regards to salvation, we would concur that no one's going to be sinless and no one's never going to violate the law. Only the Lord Jesus Christ did that, and that's why we have salvation in him, in him alone. But the fact is they did keep the law, according to the Bible, because those sacrifices were part of the law. Anything else you want to add on that, brother? No. All right, let's move on to the third summary of error, errors that we find in his book. All right, passages about keeping the law are only physical blessings on the nation or the individual or destroying their enemies or long life. Nothing. He's true. That is, but it's not only that. He says nothing to do with salvation or eternity or personal righteousness. That's on page 25. Which uh, Did he promise I'm home in heaven through keeping the commandments? No, on both accounts. Did he promise eternal life through the law? The only promises that the Lord gave them included the granting of physical health, life, deliverance, physical blessings. Just read the Bible. That's a lie. That's not true. And there's plenty of passages on that. Yeah, absolutely. And again, uh, just to not to be too redundant, but the idea, the fact that um, keeping the law was only physical blessings is just not true. Um, Brian, I think you had mentioned last time about mercy is obtained by the law. Yep being cursed if you don't as part of not keeping the law so there's mercy there's being cursed we see in ezekiel chapter 18 one would die in their sin you compare that to john chapter 8 um, verses 21 and 24 jesus said if you die in your sin then you cannot go where i go we know he went to the right hand of the father so it's much more than just the simple physical blessings that were associated to those jews if they kept the law and again we don't deny that we know there was a physical promise but there was was also of element of if God would see them either righteous or wicked, and therefore there is more than just physical blessings associated with keeping the law. Any other reference or anything else on that? Uh, one? Hebrews ten twenty eight. I quoted before. He mentioned it that um, he that despised Moses' law, he that's an individual, died without mercy. Uh, Deuteronomy five, Deuteronomy six, Exodus twenty six talks about that God keeps mercy with them that love Him and keep His commandments. And it's just the Bible is all, all full of them. Uh, Galatians 3.10 right. says that uh, cursed is he. Doesn't sound like a saved man. Right. Cursed is he that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. That's works. 
And it sounds like eternal. It sounds like something more than national physical blessings and God will send rains and you'll have plenty of crops. Yeah. It's yeah. more than that. It's, not it's like. more than health and wealth and prosperity. It has to do with mercy and being cursed and dying in your sins. So to disassociate those with a man's state before God, I don't believe that it's uh, what the Bible teaches. And uh, so there is a connection to one's standing before God in regards if they kept the law, did God's commandments or not. And again, we believe there is a physical blessing to the nation of Israel. That's very clear. But it's not just a physical blessing. There's also a spiritual condition that God sees them, either wicked or righteous, and it's based on if they did what God told them to do. All right. It would be nice if Moses would describe to us what the righteousness of the law is. But I think he did. Wait, Romans 10. <laughs> Even as Moses also describeth the righteousness, which is of the law, that the man that doeth them shall mm. live in them. That's what Paul said. That Paul, I don't, apparently for Brother Stauffer, it's not enough for Paul to, this, to tell us what the righteousness of the law was. Uh, Pastor Chad read Philippians right. 3, the righteousness of the law, blameless, but they, you know, having God's righteousness. And we've read Romans 10 where it compares the gospel and right. God's righteousness through the Jesus Christ's death, burial, resurrection. And then Paul contrasts it, black and white contrast, same with Galatians 3, Galatians 4, with the law. Why, why this black and white contrast? If they're the same. If they're the same. I don't right. know. Crazy. And obviously they're not. And uh, so, again, to, to kind of recap and summarize and move on to the next point. In the Old Testament, one could obtain personal righteousness, my own righteousness, which came by the law, Paul said. And then if they died in that state, they were considered righteous. Or if they died and they turned from that, they could be considered wicked. And that's the state they would die in. But we see again clearly, mercy came by the law. If you don't follow it, you're cursed. You could die in your sin. And again, so it's much more than just physical blessings of health, wealth, crops, prosperity. Um, so there's much more to that. With that said, let's uh, let's look at the next, the fourth point of the summaries of errors that Brother Doug Stoffer makes in this book. All right, number four, he says, if any works are involved, that man can boast. All right, so you want to go ahead and uh, read that from his yeah, book? Page 16, God never equates Christ shed blood before or after the cross on par with anything a man can do. If both faith and works are necessary for salvation at any time, they are equal. If one, Christ's blood, cannot save without the other, man's works, then God has two incompatible standards for judging man. This philosophy is self-contradictory. <laughs> a heresy in one dispensation cannot redeem a soul in another dispensation. Uh, that that is uh, There's so much there, so much we could dive into that statement. Uh, I, I do want to just kind of grab a piece of that statement there. He's basically implying that Everything's got to be the same in every dispensation. They can't be different here than over here. Well, <laughs> what is the point of dispensations? I mean, last time I checked, they were under the law or not. Last time I checked, they had Levitical standards of dietary standards and, you know, dress and haircut, and we're not. So obviously there's differences. But in regards to what I think what I really want to focus on is the idea that if at any time someone could do something that had something to do with their salvation, then that proves that in the future the same thing could be true. Because he basically stated the opposite, that no one ever had anything ever to do with their salvation. So what's your kind of thoughts on that? What's your thoughts that we see clearly in uh, the Old Testament? I, compare, I was uh, talking earlier, I compare it to a Calvinist. I used to listen to this guy, Harold Camping, on Family Radio. And people would call in this show. He's a hyper-Calvinist. 
And he, he said people like us and Brother Stauffer that believe that a sinner has to receive Jesus Christ. They have to ask him to save them or come to him as a lost sinner and believe on him. He says that is boasting before God. No man can boast before God. No man can come and right. say, I had something to do with it. That it must be unconditional election and total depravity and uh, perseverance of the saints. Right. and It's all know, God. God, right? God chooses. You. If you had anything to do with it, then you have it works. You are boasting, all that kind of thing. Right. Which is crazy. It's it's all through Jesus Christ. It's all the blood of Jesus Christ. Right. It's all through God's grace. We've shown that over and over right. and over. Romans three twenty five, right. Hebrews nine twenty five. I think it is that the blood of Jesus Christ applied Old Testament, New Testament, right. everything. Right. But you're saved by doing what God told you. And if God told you there's things you must do to have the blood of Christ applied to you, then right. that's true, regardless if Brother Stauffer understands it or gets it or not. Right. And, and again, the fact, just to be real clear, nobody's going to boast. No. They're not going to boast because, you know, they endured it then. They're not going to boast because they didn't take the mark of the beast. They're not going to boast in the Old Testament uh, because they offered the sacrifices or did whatever God told them to do because the truth is the only way one is saved, the only way one is uh, uh, sins are redeemed is when the blood is applied to them. And so the question is, how do they get the blood applied? That's why we keep saying that nobody in the Old Testament was saved. Nobody in the tribulation is going to be saved until the end. And again, that's why the Old Testament had to go to Abraham's bosom because they weren't saved. And therefore, they're not going to boast when they enter in heaven because they're going to know the only way they got there was by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, we realize that nobody's going to boast, but then to try to say if they had any part of it, they did anything whatsoever, then they could boast. Well, that's just his idea. That's just his thinking. The Bible clearly says there is things that men do. They can't take the mark of the beast in the tribulation. They got to endure into the end. And again, we'll get more into those specifics about the gospel being preached and the differences there. In the Old Testament, they had to offer the commandments and, or they had to keep the commandments and offer the sacrifices and they were consi considered righteous. All right, let's go on to the next one. Point number six, he constant, constantly conflates hypers with us. We kind of covered. Yeah, we did kind of cover, but maybe we'll quickly discuss it again. Um, I think when someone realizes real quick that he conflates it all and puts us all together, um, yeah, there are some major problems with hyper dispensationalists, and there are some major issues they're going to have in reconciling. Uh, verses that talk about the new birth and in First John, where it talks about where you can't sin if the because the seed remaineth in you. The, the problem is. For the Bible believers like me and Brian and the folks that we um, would say are Bible believers in regards to doctrine, we're not hyper-dispensationalists. And so, again, we believe there's all types of doctrinal truths found in the general epistles. The you Basically, what you have to do is you have to filter them through what Paul wrote. If it contradicts Paul, then you understand that it's written for uh, the tribulation saints or something in the future uh, millennium. But again, the idea is we don't just throw out the general epistles. We understand them. So uh, what what's uh, what are you want to add else on that in regards to conflating us with hypers? Right, because a, a lot of the points he makes in his book, I'd say maybe a quarter of the book, fifth of the book, right. is against hypers to where I agree with them. Sure, absolutely. The hypers are wrong. They just take Paul's epistles, which are... I, I, Figured it out by chapter, it's 7% of the Bible. I counted the pages in my Bible, which my pages don't have any notes printed from the, you know, it's just text. There's more in First and Second Chronicles than there is in all of Paul's epistles. Like, we don't just take what Paul wrote, which the hypers do. Sure. So, 
And I think that's a big folly uh, that he, he kind of just groups everyone together. Unfortunately, Brother Doug Stauffer wrote a book, One Book Rightly Divided, and he understands our position. And I don't think Brother Doug Stauffer ever considered himself a hyper-dispensationalist. No. So uh, I we talked last time about what a hyper is. <laughs> We're not a hyper-dispensationalist. So we have no problem. He's the pastor of a Baptist church. Hypers yeah. are against baptism. Right, exactly. Right, exactly. Uh, so I have no problem with the verses that line up with what Paul teaches to the church that are found in the general epistles. I believe they reconcile perfectly fine. All right, moving on. Number seven, he takes verses out of context and even uses verses where the context is saying the complete opposite and proves our point. And this was, I didn't write the page down. It's toward the end of his book. He writes down, I'll just, uh, 2 Chronicles 30, Psalm 103. We'll look at one of them. Joel 2, Jonah 4. And it's just first in the Old Testament on God's grace, God being gracious, which we believe. Right. Disprove anything right. we believe. Right. It's all God's grace. It's all, Noah found grace. It's all God's grace. It's all through the blood of Jesus Christ. But he's using these to prove, see, they had grace, so we're wrong. But let's look at one of those. A bunch of these verses he quotes, I I actually read the context, which yeah. apparently he did not. Right. You know, God bless the brother. I'm going to try and put him down, but it's kind of shoddy work on these at least. Right. He didn't even look at the context. Sometimes the next verse or two, go to Psalm 103, and he uses this verse as a proof text against what we believe. Which... Well, so brother Brian's turning to Psalms 103, and he's going to show you. Again, now let me just emphasize, that's why it's important. I don't care if you're listening to us or you're reading a book by another pastor, even a good bible pastor. Uh, go study out the matter for yourself and uh, study the whole subject out. You, we have to understand what the context is saying. So what Brother Brian's going to show you in this verse here is the verse he uses to support the idea that no works are involved. Actually, if you read the context, contradicts exactly what he's teaching. So uh, go ahead and uh, you can read that reference there, brother, and go ahead and expound on it. All right. Psalm 103, verse 8. He uses, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, plenteous in mercy. That's a good verse, isn't it? There's nothing wrong with that verse. <laughs> I, and guess what? I think all of that is true in the Old Testament. Yes. But I think it totally proves us wrong. Yeah, I don't know how. That's what he's showing. Right. But... But all oh, that's true. But now let's just take his position. Maybe he's trying to imply, see, it has nothing to do with works. It's just God's grace, right. his mercy. He thinks if one's true, the other is not true. Exactly. That, that's his big blind spot. That's, right. that's what these guys can't get over. So now let's read. go ahead and continue and expound on the context. Now, he quoted the verse. I like the verse. Right. The verse doesn't do anything to me. I got no problem with it. It's I agree 100% with it. Absolutely. But... I thought it was such a blessing. I decided to read the whole psalm and see the context. And like I said, there's other passages. Jonah 4 is the same. Joel 2 is the same. Right. He quotes these verses to disprove us when they don't do that whatsoever. But if you read the whole context, it actually disproves him. All right, verse 17. So God's grace and mercy. And he's again, this is kind of a separate point. He's saying they're mutually exclusive. Right. We say they're not. Right. His proof verse, If I read after I read these two verses, sure. it's showing what we're saying that they're are they're not contradictory and they sure. can be together absolutely verse 17 psalm 103 but the mercy of the lord is from everlasting to everlasting amen upon them that fear him and his righteousness unto children's children to such how do you get this mercy brother stauffer to such as keep his covenant mm. and to those that remember his commandments to do them so it's connected i mean that's what we're saying <laughs> it's connected that's proof verse connected with 
Keeping his covenants and his right. commandments. His grace and mercy is right. connected with keeping commandments, which proves what we're saying and disproves what you... It's funny. <laughs> and again, so that that's just a valuable <laughs> lesson of when you read a book on a subject and someone has one verse, go study out the matter. And we do believe, again, that he is gracious. We believe he's long-suffering. We believe he's merciful. But how did they get that applied in the Old Testament? And according to the Bible, it tells you how that happened. Um, so there's other examples on throughout the book if he does this. His brother Brian just read you a bunch of those references. I just encourage you to study those things out in, in light of the context of the written. Also in light of Old Testament, New Testament, church age versus not church age. Again, that's why we must rightly divide the word of truth. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that point is well taken. He this takes one. his verses out of context. Go ahead and expound on that one. Go Same ahead. kind of point. Romans eleven six. I believe he dedicates a whole chapter to this. And Romans eleven six at first at first glance, which I've I've been aware of this verse for a while because you can use it to prove you can lose salvation. But Romans eleven six, he quotes against us, which we'll look at it. And if by grace, he just goes to Romans eleven six. He doesn't quote you verse one through five because if he did, it would show you the context. He didn't quote you verse 7 or anything else. He right. just quotes Romans 11.6 and just dogmatically declares that this proves us wrong and if works had anything to do with it. It's as if by grace, then is it no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, so we say there's an element of works, there's an element of keeping the commandments sure. and the tribulation. you got to look for them. you got to endure to the end. you got to not take the mark of the beast. You've got. He says, come out of her, my beloved, be not particular of her sins. Revelation 17, the city. That's works. Well, that can't be. We're wrong. If it be of works, it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. Romans 11, 6. You know what the pro problem is with this verse? What is the problem, brother? What is the problem with using this to prove? Listen, what is the problem with using this to prove tribulation and salvation? Well, because chapter 11, verse 1 through 5, and then 7 through 36, a.k.a. the rest of the chapter, <laughs> is the nation of Israel compared to the Gentiles as a nation. Now, I know you already said this. So, first of all, the importance is to get the context. Yes. And I know you already said the danger is if you don't. But why don't you explain? Why don't you read them the verses? Why don't, don't you understand. explain? The same with the last point. Like, what? Didn't he see the context? And then Romans 11, they're... There's no way on earth Brother Doug does not know this right. is talking about Israel. So, but but well, yeah, let's, let's for yeah the danger in regards to someone who's listening or viewing and they don't understand. If you do make this individual salvation, then for the church, church age, then what is the danger? Look at verse 22. Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God on them which fell severity. That's Israel. Mm -hmm. But toward thee, goodness. Mm -hmm. that's a, well, he's saying it's individual believers. So here's an individual sinner. God, goodness, if. Uh-oh. Mm. No no ifs with Paul. I don't believe there's one verse on if with Paul's salvation, mm. which that's you get all throughout Hebrews and Matthew right. and all that. There isn't Colossians 1, but that's judgment seat of Christ. But anyway, right. if thou continue in his goodness, well, what happens? Otherwise, thou also shall be cut off. So, therefore, if you make Romans chapter 11, verse 6, individual salvation, to be consistent with the rest of the chapter, you would have to say if someone doesn't continue mm -mm. in God's goodness, they're going to be cut off. Now, this is how people come up with ideas that you can lose your salvation. This is why it's important not only to understand the context of what's been going on, you also have to understand um, the Pauline doctrine and make sure they line up. But here, clearly, this is talking about the nation of Israel and how he, he broke them off. Um, so, yeah, but again, 
that shows you he's taking verses out of context. He knows it. To prove his position on tribulation salvation. And yeah, I would I would have to say, if I'm being completely transparent, I think Brother Doug does know that. He so. knows the book. I'm sure he's taught on Romans 11. I'm sure yeah. he's taught through the book of Romans. He's taught on the nation of Israel. Right. And, but it would make you wonder, then why would he use Romans 11.6 to try to justify salvation and the tribulation the same all the way through and or you know whatever his exact point was. Yeah. But um, anyway, so yeah, there, there are several verses that he takes out of context to try to prove his position. Study the context, read the verses before, after, know the chapter, and see how they apply. Is it Old Testament? Is it New Testament? Is it church age? Is it is it prophetic? Is it dealing with the nation of Israel? Again, you need to learn to make sure you're not reading somebody else's mail. Amen. So, yeah, the context of Romans 11 is the nation of Israel. God right. called out Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and said, you're my people. I'm going to bless you forever. They're going to be blessed in a millennium, even though that they're temporarily cast aside. And that election, the fact that God chose Jacob and changed his name to Israel, a supplanter to a prince of God, is of election. It's not one ounce, not one little teensy bit of works. Agreed 100%, but it's talking about the nation of Israel and their election of God and restoration, Romans 11.25. And I think even verse 21 just bears witness of the same danger. For if God spared not the natural mm -hmm. branches, take heed lest he also spare not thee. You know, if you make this individual, I, I better fear lest God breaks me off. Right. No, this is talking about the Gentiles. And by the way, the times the Gentiles will come to the end. Right. And, yeah. and he is going back to the nation of Israel. But anyway, so Amen. yeah, yeah, good good points taken. And this truly is the context of the nation of Israel. This is not an individual. So um, he's taking the verses out of context. And he does that quite a few times in his book. Uh, let's go on to the next point. What do you have next? All right, the next point, and this is a... This is a major issue uh, Brother Stauffer has, and a lot of people have, is he doesn't understand dual application mm. and rightly dividing the word of truth. I'm going to read this on page 42. All throughout his book, he doesn't get how God can write to a group, let's say the church, but yet also write to another group, let's say the tr people in the tribulation or people in the millennium. He doesn't get that. He doesn't think it's inspired or it's possible and he not only that he, he calls it satanically inspired on page 42 this teaching yeah so i, I want we're gonna brother brian's gonna read this because i want you to hear his quote what he said about this idea of double application and taking applying to one person but not to the other listen to what he says about this idea or he says the adamantly unrepentant hyperdispensationalist consigns Hebrews through Revelation books as being most applicable to the tribulation. When confronted with the fact that these books contain many eternal security passages, Hebrews thirteen five, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, first John five thirteen, which we're not hyper, so we right. think I would say all of first John except for like four or five verses would apply doctrine to the church. But first John five thirteen, these things have written on you that you may know you have eternal life. So he's saying you got church age verses here, but yet you guys are also using those verses and say they apply to the tribulation. Right. Like, you know, Hebrews say, Hebrew three fourteen, and unto them that look for him shall he appear, and without holiness no man shall see the Lord, and all those kind of verses. That can't be. Pick one. It's either for the church or for the tribulation. It can't be for both. It can be, and he, he doesn't get it. We're gonna to explain to you in a minute. But they extract those problem texts. Like the book of Revelation, there's verses in there yeah. for eternal security, and there's verses in there that are not for the church, you'd be teaching heresy. Right. From their context and apply them to the church age only. These teachers claim church age doctrines are to be rightly divided from tribulation books, which is true. 
but dismissed by those living during the tribulation. It's true. We all do it, by the way, with the Bible. Yeah. We do it with Proverbs and Psalms. We know it's not all for us. Take not the Holy Spirit from me. That's right. not a prayer we pray today. In other words, they claim eternal security passages apply to the church age within these books and not to someone during Daniel's 70th week. Another token to our, we just don't understand. No, that's not what he says. Another token to their sheer hypocrisy and mm. inconsistency. Preachers today can consider these humorous, blah, blah, blah. According to the hyper-divider, their survival, this people in the tribulation, will depend upon going to the Bible and rightly dividing it. Yeah. <laughs> Does their only hope rest in picking and choosing the right verses within the right Bible books? Like, how is someone in the tribulation going to know? I must read Hebrews through Revelation. <laughs> That's what he's... It's, I think it's a fair objection. Sure. God is not the one that created this confusion. It is man-made and satanically inspired. Wow. So we who teach this, and I do teach this, Brother yes. Brian teaches this, he says it is satanically inspired to teach dual application or to rightly divide and filter uh, the general epistles, truths that apply to the church age to us and those truths that apply uh, to the tribulation saints to them. Uh, but if that was true, then we shouldn't be able to find examples yeah of where a verse has dual application. And I'll even go further. We shouldn't find it, be able to find an example where part of the verse is true to one person, but that same verse is not true to somebody else, even though it's talking about them. Uh, so we're going to give both examples. I'll give mine first, because mine's a little bit simpler and easier for everyone to understand. And then Brother Brian's got a, a good one, I just think a blockbuster one, to show that you better learn to rightly divide. You better learn... Uh, to see what applies to you and not, and to call that satanically inspired is beyond me. Well, so, the <laughs> yeah. so the idea is, again, how will they know? Well, brethren, how do you know? you got a book. Um, the idea of rightly dividing was taught by the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, they handled him the scriptures in Luke chapter 4, and he read there, he quoted them Isaiah, and he's quoting Isaiah, and he gets in the middle of the passage and he closes the book. Yeah. The reason is everything he read there in Isaiah was about his first advent, where he closes the book, everything after that is about his second advent. What were the Jews supposed to do? Hey, guess what, Brian? You know why they missed the Messiah? They did not rightly divide. They did not pick what was a fulfillment to the Lord Jesus Christ versus discerning what was prophetic. And their error was exactly what we teach that you need to do. So how is that accomplished? Well, we both agree that's accomplished by the word of God and the Holy Spirit. Yes. And that's important. So let me give you my example. Then Brother Brian will give you his. And brethren, this is an important subject. You need to learn to rightly divide the word of truth. You need to learn to apply what's true to you. It's, and then, it's a fair objection. So it's, It is I fair. It's good so go this is why it. we want to spend some time yeah. on it to show you this is not just some construct idea that we came up with and this is our theological system no rightly dividing the word of truth and picking what applies to you and understanding having us discernment to say that's future is biblical again the lord jesus christ did that and maybe after brian reads his i'll actually get the references and read them to you but part of the verse was literal fulfillment when he was there on earth and part of the verse was in the future that means they had to pick and choose if they wanted to properly understand it but here's the reference i want to give you hosea chapter 11 verse 1 says when israel was a child then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. Uh, Brother Brian, obviously this is a real clear historical reference when God called the nation of Israel out of Egypt. It even says it there. <laughs> when Israel was a child, right? So this is talking about Israel, isn't it? Yeah. 
but it's also talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ, and uh, it's in Matthew chapter 2, verse 15. And I'll get there real quick, Matthew chapter 2, verse 15, to show you the dual application of Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. Again, the first application clearly is the nation of Israel. The second application is a prophecy concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 2, verse 15, uh, the Bible says, this is talking about uh, verse 14, we'll back up, and he rose and he took the young child, that's Jesus, and his mother by night and departed into Egypt and was there unto the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, out of Egypt have I called my son. There's a direct quote hmm. from Hosea. So there was a dual application there. One application was for the nation of Israel. The second application was a prophecy concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. So clearly, that's a dual application. Now, someone who read his book or Doug Stoffer may argue, yeah, I understand that. But what I'm saying is you can't say part of the verse is true for the church and part of the verse is true for the tribulation and separate them. Well, Brother Ryan, is, is that the case? Or do you have a reference where you can clearly demonstrate that you need to rightly divide and some of it is true for one person and some of it is not true for another? So go ahead and what you got there. Second Samuel. Well, there's I have a bunch of them, actually. It's not that uncommon. Before we go to second thing, Mark 13, verse 3. Now, I don't believe Brother Stelfer believes this, but I believe there is an explanation that would make it apply and not be dual. But he probably doesn't believe this, so we'll use it on him. You may not believe I don't know. We've talked about this. Mark 13, 3. Jesus Christ talking to the 12 apostles. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives over against the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew talked with him privately. So he's talking to Peter, James, Andrew, John. The whole time. Sure. This whole Olivet Discourse. There's nobody else involved. Verse 13, And you should be hated of all men for my name's sake. True. Happened. But he that shall endure in the end, the same shall be saved. Well, either that's an endurance salvation or they lived all the way to the end of the tribulation. So, yeah. Verse 14, But when ye... Who's he talking to, Pastor? In verse 14. It says, But when ye... Same ones he was talking to. Right, Peter, James, yeah, John. Right. Shall, tell me if this is true. Shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel and the prophets standing where it ought not, then let him that in Judea flee in the mountains. Mm. Did that happen? So, no. Did they die? Yeah. Okay, well. So it sounds like you better learn to understand dual application, how yes. he can be talking to someone, and it not be, listen, true to them, although he spoke the words. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, that's a great point. Uh, there's prophetic things in there. And again, like you said, this is not uncommon to make this to some big issue of right. like, this is satanically inspired to know that you got to rightly divide. I, I contend that David had no idea when he penned Psalms chapter 22, my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? He didn't know he was writing about the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, and there, there's a dual application. There's there. a lot of messianic psalms where he's talking about Jesus, and then he mentions sins, right. his sins. Right. Well, you better rightly divide that. You're satanically inspired if you don't rightly yeah. divide. Yeah, you better rightly divide. We're part Jesus of that. Jesus sinner. Right, where part of that is prophecy of Christ, and the rest of the part of it is the man who actually penned it. So there's a difference there. Right. Part yes. of it applies. 
to Jesus, part of it applies to the man who penned it. It's not some new doctrine. No. And by the way, there's somebody, I believe, called the Holy Spirit that will lead and guide you in all truth. He's discounting that. Right. Does the Holy Spirit have any role in teaching a man? Is the Holy Spirit going to be around the tribulation to help these people pick out things from Revelation, pick out things from Hebrew, pick out things they from James? They might need this book. Well, yeah. <laughs> they don't want to get all of our stuff, according so, to him. So, because ours is satanically expired... No, and all Justin and joking aside, we believe this book, the King James Bible, will guide them all truth. And so, yeah, they just like we need to learn to rightly divide, they'll need to learn to rightly divide. Just like we need to understand uh, uh, this truth is for us, this truth is not for us, the same thing is true to them, but the same thing's always been true. Go ahead and give this example. A really there. good one that's a familiar one is Second Samuel 7. This is uh, God's promise of David about the sure mercies of David. 7.12, and when thy days be fulfilled, God speaking to David, Thou shalt sleep with thy fathers. That happened. I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. That's Solomon. That happened. He shall build a house for my name. He did. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Did not happen yet. So obviously prophetic right. into the millennium and all that. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. It's talking about Jesus Christ prophetically. Mm -hmm. right. Solomon died. It didn't right. happen. It wasn't forever. Solomon had Rehoboam and the kingdom was split. And then they went into captivity 606. There is no kingdom. Go to Israel. There's no king right on the throne. It's obviously prophetic. It has to be Jesus Christ or it's a lie. Right. But I'm sure Brother Stoffer would be on the same page with us there so far. I will be his father, Jesus Christ. And he should be my son, Jesus Christ. Okay. If he commit iniquity. Uh-oh. Not Jesus Christ. Can't be. Now we're in Solomon again. Right. Some of that stuff will apply to Solomon. Some of it did could not possibly apply to Solomon. Some of it that you make apply to Jesus Christ, you're committing blasphemy. Right. You could say, I don't know, satanically inspired. I think that would be satanically inspired. <laughs> okay, I will be his father. He should be my son. If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men. And with this, not only is that not Solomon, you could say it's Solomon, but it's probably not Solomon. It's not Jesus Christ. Right. It's got a triple application yeah. to the Christian. And with the stripes of the children of men, but my mercy shall not depart away from him as I took it away from no one because everybody's always been eternally secure and stayed <laughs> the same way. No. Right there shows you it's different right. as I took it away from Saul. Well, right. apparently he treated Saul differently than he treated David. But you know who quotes that? Paul in Acts 13 when he gives you one of the greatest messages, Acts 13, 38, be it known unto you, therefore, that through this man's preaching the forgiveness of sins. But he quotes that, the sure mercies of David, and applies it to the believer who's right. born of God. Sure. We're of Jesus Christ's seed right. through the new birth. Right. Hyper dispensation. So don't believe in a new birth for the church. And so there's triple application. Sure. It's true of Solomon only, not Jesus, because Solomon sinned, Jesus didn't. It's true of us only, because... He gave us sure mercies that even Solomon didn't really get in right. Solomon's seed because Rehoboam and Josiah and all that kind of thing. And it's true of Jesus only because Solomon died and didn't reign forever. Right. So there's your there's your satanically inspiration, according to this brother here. Yeah. And again, you raise so many good points. So, so the point is you have to learn to rightly divide the word of truth. As you mentioned, you look at prophecies concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, yeah. So many of them. We could go example after example. Where part of the verse can only apply to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then part of the verse, if you say applies to the Lord Jesus Christ, you turn the Lord Jesus Christ into a sinner. So what you have to do is you have to take, yep, part of this verse is for the future, tribulation. I'm sorry, <laughs> part of this verse is for the future, speaking of Jesus Christ. 
And part of this verse is to that person writing it right then and there. So you do the exact same thing that we're saying you have to do that the tribulation saints will do. They're going to have to rightly divide the word of truth, just like we have to rightly divide the word of right. truth, just like they've always had to rightly divide the word of truth. And again, I contend, I said it out just, but I'm not joking. That's why the Jews missed who Jesus Christ was. They missed the fact they didn't rightly divide the word of truth. Now, I want to read these references because this subject is so important. We'll do another whole podcast on how to study the Bible and rightly dividing is key to that. But the Lord Jesus Christ rightly divided the word of truth. He applied what applied to him now and the rest he left off for the future. In Luke chapter 4, uh, verse 16, the Bible says he came, this is speaking of Jesus, to Nazareth where he had been brought up and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it is written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath, he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord, verse 20. And he closed the book and he gave it again to the ministers and sat down and the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. Now, if you compare that to where the Lord Jesus Christ was reading when they gave him the book, that's Isaiah chapter 61. And we remember in verse 19, he, after he reads to preach the acceptable year of the Lord, he closes the book. Well, Isaiah chapter 61 says this, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim, proclaim liberty to the captives and to opening of the prison to them that are bound. Here we go. Verse two, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And Jesus closes it, gives it back to him and he's done. I've already said it. But Brother Brian, why does the Lord Jesus Christ close the book right there? Why does he not read the rest of verse 2? Because the rest of verse 2 is the day of the Lord, the second advent, blood and guts, and a kingdom being set up. And So you mean those Jews were expected to take part of the verse and say, oh, this is a fulfillment of Jesus Christ now? And those Jews were expected to say the rest of that verse is future? That's exactly what we're saying. And that's exactly what we're saying when it comes to the general epistles. Some truths can be present now written to the church, but you must rightly divide and say, yep, that portion of it is to the future of the tribulation saying. Again, we could go on and on and on. Does it with the devil? That was been eating in the garden of God, talking to the king of Tyrus. And he gets yeah. into the anointed cherub in Ezekiel 28. That wasn't true of, of Tyrus. When he gets into Daniel, all throughout the book of Daniel with... Uh, the king of Grecia shall come and he shall do this. That's Alexander the Great in prophecy and all this stuff. And his kingdom will be split up among his four generals. And that fulfills biblical, that fulfills actual worldly history. And then he'll do this and then he'll take over the world. And then he becomes the Antichrist all of a sudden. Like, it's all throughout the Bible. we got to rightly yeah. divide. So I think the conclusion we would say emphatically to rightly divide the word of truth, to say this applies to the church and this applies to the tribulation is not satanically inspired. <laughs> Matter of fact, to the contrary. We say if you don't, that very well could be satanically expired. Because again, the folly, the danger, 
is you could turn the Lord Jesus Christ into a sinner. Mm. You could turn the Lord Jesus Christ into something that he's not. You better learn to rightly divide the word of truth. Amen. Well, this has been another great broadcast. We're going to uh, do one more, and we're going to wrap up the Summer of Errors. There's some exciting things we're going to get into, like the deception and uh, the different gospels. So we're trying to condense mm. all of that into one more broadcast. We'll see if that happens. But we did want to take our time, go through this. And again, we hope you've enjoyed it. We hope that we've provoked you to study this subject further and at least for one more week we have not put this issue to rest but before we close out we're going to give another book away so brother brian again uh just want you to come up with a uh, bible question he brother brian's our uh, trivia man here at, uh, at lighthouse baptist church i love it every time we get together for fellowships or outings or teens we always have some trivia questions so um we're going to give another book away well brother brian is uh going to get a a question ready, think of one. Uh, what we're going to give away this week, again, we're going to give away David Walker's King James Only Revised Dispensationalism Dismantled. Excellent read. I'd strongly encourage you to read it. And when this broadcast is live on Facebook, on my profile, the first one to type in the correct answer will get this book. We'll send it to you for free. So with that said, you got a good question for today? I do have a good question, but I was just wondering from the last question that others had heard it from my trivia things. That's okay. We'll, we'll let all the Lighthouse members join in on this one. So. I'm trying to keep it kind of related. All right. Uh, he quoted Hosea 11.1, 1, which says, Out of Egypt have I called my son, and it's talking about Israel. Israel is, is God's son in the Old Testament in a national uh, meaning. And then also it applies to Jesus Christ, who, of course, is God's son. There are three other sons given in the Bible of God. And just for confusion's sake, the body of anybody who's saved, John 1, 12, to as many as received him, to them gave you part of the sons of God. So that's another one. So now you have two left. Can you name one of the two? There's two other groups or individual that are called a son of God, besides anybody saved in the New Testament church age, besides Jesus Christ, and besides the nation of Israel. There's two other individual or in a, in a, corporately as a group called son of God. So there you go. The first one to type and, or, and give the correct answer to who else the Bible calls a son of God outside the nation of Israel, outside us, the church who are saved, and outside the Lord Jesus Christ, you will will send you that book for free. Uh, as always, we appreciate you tuning in and listening. We're thankful to just be able to put on this podcast. Uh, it's a ministry of Lighthouse Baptist Church. And again, we thank you for listening and watching the Word of a King. The key to understand the Word of God is for the author to show you what the things are. If you understand that book, you get to the author. Then he opened their understanding.